Alrighty. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. How are we, how are we today? Everyone still waking up? <laughs> I confess if I yawn a little bit, that's because I am, not because I'm bored at all. I love speaking up here. Alrighty. So, today's message is going to be out of our continuing series out of James, in James chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. So, if you, once you've turned there, please stand for the reading of the word. Starting in verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one part, he is guilty of all. For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not murder. Now if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak, and so do, as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this time that we can come together once again in your house, Lord. Thank you that we can come to be, to be fellowship, to be fed by your word, and to be prepared for the work you have us to do, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we would just be open, that our hearts would be fertile soil, that we would just hear with the ears you've given us, that our eyes would be open to see what you've stood for us to be seen. And I pray, Lord, that this would be a crop of harvest for your kingdom, Lord. I pray all these things in your name. Amen. Okay, <laughs> I wasn't quite sure how far I was going to go with this at first, and then I wasn't quite sure what kind of theme I wanted, but then, thankfully, Lord willing, God opened the door. So, my, my, the title for today's message is God's Law and Mercy. And I know that sounds a bit more like something that would be suited for either the Old Testament or the Gospels, but God's, they get that thing about the scarlet thread is that God's story and his theme never changes throughout Scripture, just presented in a different way. So today, yes, we are seeing a bit of the Old Testament being brought in, as we see with the law that God gave through Moses. But we're also going to see, as James is speaking through his half, about his half-brother Jesus, that he's talking about how he showed God's mercy and how they all blend together. So, so three main points that I have today. The first point is this, that our love for God and our love for each other are deeply linked. They say the reason why God puts the two greatest commandments together is because it says, how can you love your neighbor if you don't love God? And if you don't love your neighbor, how can you love God? So let's see. So thinking about how we treat God and how we treat people in our lives are going to be interlinked. It speaks of our character, speaks of what we value, what we base our foundation on. That's going to be very, very important for us as Christians. The second main point is this. God's law is perfect, and he judges all sin. And sometimes that sounds like we're beating a bit of a dead horse, but it never hurts to hear it again, right? Mm -hmm. Especially when it comes to the Bible. 
So we hear here is that yes, a lot of people talk about the law and how we're no longer under quote the law of the Old Testament, but in the sense that just because the, just because Jesus came doesn't mean that, that God's law changed, just the way it was applied. In Jesus, we see the God's law fulfilled, and the, the idea of how God wishes us for to act and to how to be, or how we wish to relate to Him and how we wish to relate to each other that didn't change. I mean, basically, Jesus took the Ten Commandments and broke it down to two, but He didn't change the actual rules. And the thing about God is that yes, His view about sin, especially, did not change. Just that under Jesus, we see that we are covered by covered in His blood, and that we are redeemed from sin. But God will still judge sin in our lives. I mean, whether that's the white throne of judgment in the end where we see the world judged or where we see the judgment seat of the Lamb. We're all going to face God's judgment and the sin will be burned away. Third point is this. God closely observes how we treat each other both within and outside the kingdom. Like we see in the word, God's eyes are always watching us. <laughs> in a sense, like the worldly version we hear, that is, Big Brother is watching you. <laughs> but even but even with all the technology they have today, that nothing trumps God's eyes on us, and He is very observant. And even even if we pass through the like the Lamb's judgment seat, we will all with everything we do, both good and bad, both the Christian and non-Christian, will be revealed to everybody. I mean, basically, we're going to be a twenty-four hour feature, so to speak. And so that's why we need to be very careful about our conduct as Christians. Not just because it's the right thing to do, but because also God knows and what he knows will be known to everybody. And so that's why we should be very careful about what we do, what we think, what we say, because it should all be to God's glory. And that's, in a sense, will have the greatest reward in the end. So going back into the first two verses of a passage... Going looking at first verses eight and nine of the James chapter two. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin, and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So we already heard like about what it means to transgress from Keeping's word last week. And we we see this is what the standard is. So, what does that mean to love your neighbor as yourself? Well, in a sense, we saw it, see it through different passages, like you see how Jesus would reach out to the people who were lost, and he showed the love, and think, yes, as God, but also as man. He also illustrated it through the story of the Good Samaritan, that, yes, you are your, like, anyone who you reach out to can be your neighbor. It's not just someone who lives close to you. It's your fellow humans, anyone around you. Interestingly enough, following back that idea of partiality is something we see not just in the time of Jesus, but long before. I mean, let's face it. As human beings, we are, we've been partial ever since day one, ever since the fall. And I was looking for, looking for what it means to be partiality. Ah, so we saw a little bit about what we saw that about being partial last week, but I need to go a little further into that. So, in a sense, we saw the sin of partiality, but what is another detail that didn't quite, or another detail we haven't touched on yet, is what it means to, in relation to loving your neighbor. So, being showing partiality, yes, yes to this person, no to this person, for no other reason than we than our own will, 
That is not fulfilling the law of loving your neighbor as yourself. And also, it displays a lack of love for God. This is something we see throughout the scriptures. Turning first to Leviticus chapter 19. I know it's way back, but <laughs> it'll be worth it, trust me. So turn to Leviticus number nine, chapter 19, turn to verse 18. Ah. So here's where we see that God talks about it in, in the books of the law. You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So right from the get-go, when he establishes Israel as a nation... He is saying, love your neighbor as yourself. It didn't just come out when Jesus was there. He was quoting scripture that around for thousands of years at that point. It's interesting. He says, you will not bear vengeance. We see like when people talk about that, the whole thing, I will repay. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And that's true. But he, said, but he commands the opposite. He says, don't bear any grudge. Love your neighbor as yourself. So in that sense of Loving your neighbor, yes, we're not going to, you'll, you'll, you'll actually, quote, love them, quote, unquote, in the same way that you, like, love, say, your spouse. I mean, let's face it, like, love in, it, some people say it's almost a discredit that it's only one word for love in English. I mean, for the Greeks, they had four, each with their own context. But in that sense, the lowest form, the, the most basic form is that love of yourself, eros, so that if you, I mean, if you hate yourself, how can you, how can you show love to other people? That's exactly what he's talking about. That he says, quote, if you love yourself, show that same love, that same care to someone else. That's the most basic way of sharing love. And from there, we can, we can only grow upward. Another reference for this is we see in Mark chapter 12, turning back to the New Testament. So the shortest gospel of four. Here we go. So Mark chapter 12. I mean, this is going to verses 28 through 31. Okay, so this is just after Jesus has gone through the parable of the wicked vine dressers. He's also gone through his little debate with the, the little debate with the Pharisees and the Sadducees about paying taxes to Caesar, about whose wife is this woman, who, whose wife would this woman be if she married all seven brothers in turn. And then we see uh, verse 28. We see one of the scribes approaching Jesus with an honest question. Then one of the scribes came, and having heard him, them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So that's another reason why we should love our neighbors and show, show that kind of sense of compassion for them. Not only is it the right thing to do, not only has God commanded it to us, but it's basically the top rule up there. It says, quote, I said, love me, and love other people. And there are other parts of the scripture where it says that is the whole sum of the law. So if you love God and love your 
neighbors, you've basically covered all the bases, all the little nitpicky details, all rest on that foundation. And in fact, it says another part of the scripture, turning back to the Old Testament, not only do we, if we don't love our neighbors, we're not only showing a lack of love for them, the Bible literally says that we're not showing love for God. So how can we, so how, how can we try to love our neighbors if we don't love our Creator? This is where we turn to Proverbs chapter 14, to like almost the end of the chapter, verse 31. We see, uh, so we see here in the in Proverbs, Proverbs mm-hmm. he who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker, mm-hmm. but he who honors him has mercy on the needy. Or other people, other scriptures say he honors him, he's generous to the poor. So what does that mean to, to have mercy? Well, basically we've seen, we've heard it multiple times, but it hurts to touch on it again, in the form of where we see justice, you, what, what does justice mean? Exactly. So you get exactly what you did something wrong, you're punished, that's justice. So what is grace? Ah, it's exactly, it's getting what you don't deserve. You're getting a good thing that you did not earn. So that's where we see the gift of the cross, that Jesus came and he had, he had grace on us. But then in the middle there, that's what we see is mercy. Getting, it's like not getting what you deserve. So you deserved justice, but you did not, you did not receive the punishment you deserved. So in that sense, that's again the cross where Jesus had mercy on us. He did, came to give us grace, but he also came to give us mercy that we would not have to face the judgment. Going to the next portion, looking at chapter, going up to James chapter two. Verses 10 and 11. Let's see. Ah, there it is. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a, a transgressor of the law. I mean... That's something we're very familiar with. When you say whether you've stolen something, whether you're guilty of breaking and entering, or you or you're break or you're guilty of some other crime, what do we always say? You have broken the law. Do we always say laws? No, but whether it's the, but we say yes, you've broken the specific law, but that makes sense. But it also refers to the whole system. Did you say that that a uh, one of the favorite things I say this year is that a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. If you break even one little part of it, you've broken the whole chain. The same imagery is true of the law. Whether you broke one thing or multiple parts, you've broken the whole thing. And so you get the full weight. They say, well, they, say they throw the book at you because you've broken the whole law. And this is where we see reflected in, in one of Paul's other writings, in, book, in the, the book of, probably this is James, so we go back to the book of Paul. We see in the book of Galatians, chapter 3, this is reflected. Okay. Galatians, Ephesians, aha. So Galatians, chapter 3. Then we're looking at verses 21 through 24. 
So looking at, we saw Paul looking, looking through this chapter, one of the main themes, looking at the purpose of the law, going back to the Old, the Old Testament and seeing what like we saw before, look, it's, whether it was his purpose, what is the, what is the function of the law, how is it fulfilled? Ah. Looking at verse 21, Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Christ Jesus might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, given the, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Interesting that the so before the law came, we were lawless, so to speak. That, that we saw, like yes, God had had His standard of looking at the He had standards of the righteousness, and we had saw people, certain people like Noah and his family follow and Abraham afterwards. But then we see didn't we didn't see the law printed out and actually given in a sense until God talked to Moses on Mount Sinai, and that's when the law is passed to us. But interesting enough that he says the quote. Is the law against? Is the or is the law against the law of Christ? Is God's law meant to be? Like, look at it's a counter, is it a counterintuitive? Like that God gave us the law, but we couldn't fulfill it, and therefore we're dead anyway. Like not at all. Thankfully, God had a bigger purpose than that. Because after all, being being human as we are, we can't keep the law. I mean, with our fallen nature, it's a literal impossibility. So why did God give it to us? Well, interesting, Paul says, calls it our tutor. <laughs> As a teacher, I can say that tutoring is not an easy thing, but I do see the larger purpose behind it, that it's... Well, well, well think about it. When you have a regular classroom teacher and you're not doing so well, why do you get a tutor? Better. Exactly. So in the sense that we can see, we can see the tutor can point out the little points where you are not, we're not doing so well and that they can come alongside you and do better. So it calls the law our tutor. Kind of brings back to mind one of the images, uh, images I saw early in the reading of the Pilgrim's Progress. It's like, for those of you, like, how many of you are familiar with the Pilgrim's Progress? Okay, a couple of you. So it's written by, I think I've touched on it before, but I'll, I'll just refresh you on it, if I may. So John Bunyan wrote it in the 1600s as an allegory, as, as a sort of, fictional picture of the Christian life. He even calls his main character Christian. After his burden of sin, uh, as he long his way to the cross to remove his burden of sin, he goes through the narrow gate, making the choice to follow Christ, and then he comes to the interpreter's house where he learns, it's in a sense about someone learning what it means to be a Christian before they make the confession of faith and the burden of sin is removed. So, Along the way, he comes to the interpreter's house, and the interpreter, one of the key rooms that he shows Christian is a room that's filled with dust. A man comes in, tries sweeping it away, but because it's so dry and dusty, it can't, all it does is just stir the dust into the air. It makes people cough. So he says, why don't we sprinkle the room with water? Someone else comes in, sprinkles some water around the room, the, water, the dust soaks it up, and it's soon swept clean. So he says, the room is, some, is a person's heart. 
The dust is sin. The first sweeping is that of the law, which does not take away sin, but makes it more obvious. The second sweeping is that of grace, which truly cleanses a person's heart. That's what Paul is referring to here in the scripture, that the law, yes, it was... It was, it was a tutor. And since some people say it's like a, a taskmaster or like a, someone, a taskmaster that drives us to the foot of the cross. The law helps us to realize that we cannot save ourselves. Here's God's, here's God's standard. Here's you. And there's no step stool to get you from here to here. So that's why, since we cannot lift ourselves up to God's standard, that's why he gave us grace so that he can draw us up to, our, up to him. And that's exactly what Paul was referring to, that yes, the law was there to, to help to, to tutor us, to show us how we cannot save ourselves, to prepare us for the law of grace under Christ, so that he would be able to save us. After all, he'd say the first step in solving a problem, admit that there is one. Exactly, if we had no idea that we were sinners, we would not be able, we would not see Jesus as we would do now. That's what, that was the purpose of the law, to make it help us open our eyes, say, I am a sinner, I cannot save myself. And thankfully, because we have Jesus as our Savior, now we don't have to worry about fulfilling every little law, because now we have the foundation of the law living in our hearts, and we are becoming, we are, as we're being made more and more like God, the law of grace has trumped the law of judgment. Now coming into the next little portion, we'll see uh, verses 12 and 13. Looking at James chapter 2. I know I'm going willy-nilly every way in the book, but at least we're keeping on track, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> thank, thank you. So, verses 12 and 13. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy... To the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And I know we're probably most familiar and most grateful for that last part. We need to go back and through the whole, whole thing in order to understand exactly what it's, going, what it's implying. So we're seeing that, uh, so yes, while we are under the law of grace, and we, we do, uh, we do know do have the burden of sin in the sense that judgment removed from us, we do need to realize that our behavior and our actions reflect not only on us, but on God as well. Which is why he's, another reason he has commanded us to love our neighbor as ourselves. Because after all, people, people won't, quote, see Jesus since he's in heaven, but they will see us. And our actions as Christians will very much reflect, should reflect who Jesus is, Otherwise, we are not being faithful to the calling that he gave us in Matthew 28 to teach all things, to basically, they say, quote, we are Jesus to the world. That's, that's the whole thing about the, the derogatory nickname of Christian meant little Christ. Because we were called to be imitators of Jesus, and they started off as an insult, saying, ah, look, little Christ's out there. But that's exactly what they should be seeing, that we are the children of Christ, and our character should reflect his and if we don't, can we really call ourselves his followers? 
So for this last portion, my references are both, thankfully, in the Gospel of Matthew, so you don't have to turn back too far. I know your fingers will be getting a little tired flipping back and forth through the word, but, but let's see. Going to the book of Matthew. They say to bear, bear with me on this. I, I promise we're close to the end. So, turning first to Matthew chapter 5, and then to chapter 7. It's both portions from the Sermon on the Mount, and it's one of the core, one of the core factions that people look to when they look for the teachings of Jesus. This is often where the people will be the reference. So starting in chapter 5, verse 7, when we're seeing the Beatitudes, Jesus has mentioned about blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then here's the key portion. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. So, in a sense, that's where Jesus calls us to pass on what we have received, to give as you have been, as it has been given to you. And it's not only a command as his followers, it's also, they say, a reflection of our character, that if we have been shown mercy by God, we should also show mercy to others. In fact, we see the great consequences we see of that in other portions where, remember the parable of the unmerciful servant? This guy who owed millions in cash to, his, to the king, but he was forgiven his debt? What, what did he do? He went out and was, went out and found another servant who owed him like maybe a hundred bucks and was grabbing by the throat and said, Give me my money! And then when he couldn't pay, he had the guy locked up in prison. He was shown mercy, did not receive it, or he did not, he not give it in turn, so mercy was withdrawn for him. The king said, okay, I, gave, I forgave you millions, you couldn't forgive a hundred dollars, so you know what? Pay me my money. You're going to jail and you're going to be in pain until you pay back everything you got, the last little cent. He just clarifies, this is how, if we don't forgive others, God will not forgive us our sins. That's why it says in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who, who sin against us, or those who trespass against us, basically, in, the, in the different translations. But the same principle is there, that as we have received, we must so give. And again, we see in the opening verses of Matthew chapter 7, just to turn the page over, see in the verses 1 and 2, Jesus touches on this point again. He says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Interestingly enough, I remember this is a, reminds me of another parable. It wasn't in my notes, but it's when Jesus talks about uh, a servant who is very, being very shrewd. It touches back a bit on the days in Nehemiah when there was a lot of corruption and a lot of uh, unlawful behavior going on after the exile, after the return from Babylon, where a man who's basically, he's basically kind of charging people more than he should, kind of like the tax collectors of Jesus' day, he is basically charging them more wheat or more oil than 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 he should for their rent, but his boss finds out what he's doing and says, you know what? You're no longer manager. I'm going to kick you to the curb. You're on the street, pal. And so he quickly goes back 
and to the people who's been overcharging and says, you know what? You don't have to pay this much. Go back to the, this, this much, which is the proper amount. And the master, while he is still firing him, says, you're a pretty shrewd fella. You know that once you're on the street, you're going to be at the mercy of these people you've been cheating. So, so you start treating them right, they'll maybe treat you right. That's exactly the same measure we see not only with God, but with our fellow people. Yes, the people will treat you as you treat them. That's the whole point of love your neighbor as yourself. At least that's another point, that yes, people will be more inclined to listen to you, they'll be more inclined to be friendly with you if you have been friendly with them. And obviously we're not sacrificing our character as Christians for this, but like I said, looking at that point of character, when people see the God, God's nature shining in us, that, in a sense, should, should, should draw them. Yes, people are not going to be drawn to God's goodness if they don't see it reflected in our actions. It's like the whole people, a lot of, that's where a lot of churches or a lot of Christians nowadays are saying, I don't care about other people as long as I get out of hell free. They said, are you kidding me? And this is, in fact, I just saw a video on this last night where, where people are looking, that's where look at the judgment seat of the Lamb. Yes, if you, don't, you don't want rewards in heaven just as long as you get in? It says the, the judgment seat, everything that you, you have done in your life can be put through fire. That everything that you have lived for is going to be put to the test and God's going to nuke anything that's imperfect. So if people come into heaven with nothing but their own selves, isn't, in a sense, yes, you will be saved, but as one through fire, like you literally got yourself sinned as you ran out of the house that was, on, that was burning down. So you got, ended up with nothing. So they say the whole point of having those rewards in heaven, of, of living your life for Christ, is because, yes, God has, you, in a sense, everything you do is given to God, but then he gives it back to you, and then he is glorified through it because you end up giving it back to him again. So they say like the, your works on earth are the jewels in your crown in heaven. And yet, as we went through Revelation, what are the 24 elders doing with the crowns on their heads? They cast their crowns. I mean, the whole Christian, there's a whole music group called Casting Crowns because they're putting the, taking the crowns off their heads, the crowns that God gave them, and they're putting them down in front of God because he's the one who's crowned with many crowns. Yes, they are, that is a symbol of his authority, but it's also since the glory that people are giving back to him because of the blessings he gave. And that's, in a sense, that is the evidence of who we are as Christians, that, yes, we have given... That we have given as we have received, God has given back to us. We can that's an endless cycle. That yes, they say in the old in the old children's song about how the blessings come down as the prayers go up. It's a cycle that should never stop. God gives, we receive, we give back, God receives glory, and he continues to give back to us. And that's the way we should be living our lives now, because that's the way we'll be living, let's face it, for eternity. It never hurts to be, it never hurts to look ahead and think of how blessed a time that will be. Amen? Amen. Alrighty. Let's bow our heads, please. Lord, thank you once again for the word that you've spoken to us, Lord. I pray that you would just take root in our hearts, that we would be fertile soil, that you would produce, produce a heart just for your kingdom, Lord. May we continue to hold this word in our hearts. May we, may we continue to cherish it, Lord. 
may, may it, Lord, just continue to mold and change us. That as we give glory to you, Lord, may you continue to shape us into the people you desire us to be. That, as Keith Green said, we're like windows with, that reflect the light that shines through us, Lord. Pray that every time we grow dim, every time this world tries to shut out the light that you cast into us, I pray, Lord, that you just you just clean us, Lord. You continue to shine through us, Lord, gloriously, that people may see us and be drawn to you. Pray all these things, Lord, in your name. Amen.